You're listening to an app session from the 2019 Art Conference in Anaheim, California. For more resources to equip you and your local church, visit arcchurches.com. Thank you, Erlen. Whoa. Um, hey, such an honor to be here today. I love Arc. We love Arc at our church. Um, I'm a part of the team at Champion Center with Pastor Kevin and Sheila Gerald. And uh, can we just do this? Yeah. yeah do okay, it. I'm done. Yeah. Already done. Um, my pastor is Kevin and Sheila Gerald. Um, I've grown up at the same church my whole life. So for uh, 37 of my 38 years on planet Earth, I've been in one church, one pastor, one vision. So I just, over the course of time, became a churchaholic and just love church and love what God does in our churches. And um, now when, when I am home, I help us run our conference, Team Church Conference. Uh, Team Church and ARC have an official partnership now, so we're happy to be in the ARC party. I don't know if anyone here is part of ARC Church Okay, so we're late to the party. So you all like like well meet us, but we're just glad to be here. Yeah. And um, excited for what God is doing in ARC. And conferences like this, you sort of have to, um, you know, keep making room, right? We just we just took in what four back to back amazing sessions, and yeah, I still believe that God can do something. And I have about three hours of notes and about forty five minutes. So this is. Bad math, but we're just going to go for it and see where we go. And I would love at the end to talk about what you want to talk about. Uh, I love talking leadership. I have I serve a pastor. I am on a team. Uh, I haven't. I'll just go right there from the beginning. I haven't stayed planted at the same church for 37 years because it's always been easy, or because it's been without challenge. Um, I haven't stayed planted because I thought we always did everything right. Is that okay to say? Yeah. Or because I always thought, like, you know, my leader was perfect, and he's teaching another app, or he'd probably be here saying it in, you know, right now. Um, so if we can just have some real talk at the end, I am down to answer questions. Go there, just don't give easy questions, okay? Like, let's talk about what we need to talk about. And um, I would love the opportunity to do that. My wife is here. Um, so I love my wife. We married 15 years yesterday. So... Church nerds, we celebrated our anniversary at our conference. Come on, somebody. <laughs> That's a commitment. Um, so, anyways, excited for this. Um, we titled this session the DNA of Uncommon Second Chair Leaders. Um, I just wanted to get you guys here to talk about this. So, um, if I could give it a shorter title, it would be Leading Second. It's really interesting. Leading Second. Let me just start talking here and let's see where we can go. We write down some questions and. and um, just kind of prepare so that when we get to that point at the end, we can just we can just take off running really fast. Let's not maybe awkward Q and A, right? Everybody knows awkward Q and A. Like no one asks questions, and then we dismiss and everybody asks questions. So, yeah. Is there by chance a, a, any lead pastor in the room? By chance, you, your senior pastor? Will you come up here for a minute? I, can I use you as an, an example? Nice to meet you. Do you have anybody with you? Yeah. Will? Okay, you're coming up in just a minute. Just see that. Let us on team. Okay, I want to start by sharing this today. This is called the principle of the first follower. The principle of the first follower goes something like this: For a leader, 
to step up and lead, for a leader to, to step out and do something in faith, what God has called them to do, um, can we all agree a leader has to be somewhat crazy? Yeah. Right? Right? Like, crazy, what, what city are you in? Dallas. Oh, awesome. <laughs> crazy enough to believe Dallas could be different. Because, because of what you're doing. Like, crazy enough to believe that people could come into our churches and walk out transformed. Yeah. Like, you're nuts, just so you know that. You're, you're actually crazy. Yeah. Um, John Maxwell would say, if a leader is leading and no one's following, they're just out for a walk. So we, until a leader has their first follower, a leader is just a nut job. Can we all agree with yeah. that right now? Yeah. It's crazy enough to believe that in an act of faith, something could be different. All right, Will, can you come on up for a second? When a leader gains his first follower... It is the first follower that transforms a nut job into a leader. It's when someone comes alongside their leader and says, I see something, not just in you, but I see something in the call that God has placed on you or the church that's on the inside of you. I, I see that. I want to be in. I'm, I'm with you. Um, that's what transforms a, a crazy person into a leader. It's called the principle of the first follower. It takes guts to also step out and be the first follower. To align early. Yeah. Uh, to stay aligned. Yeah. To join something that is still at just a place of faith. Yeah. You know, just a, just a place of opportunity. Are we talking at all here today? Are we tr- <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I need like like four or five people really quick just to come up. Just the first four or five people. Okay, perfect, perfect. All right. So just line up this way. Line up this way. Okay, so you see how easy that was. As, as the group grows, momentum grows. Uh, it becomes easier and safer for people to join the movement once the movement is underway. And over time, of course, a few crazy people end up transforming, you know, into a movement, they end up transforming the city. Here's what I want you to see, that the first follower in most organizations is an underestimated form of leadership in and of itself. In fact, it is the first follower and not the leader themselves that actually sets the tone for the culture and character of the organization. In other words, the, the, the movement, the group, however long it ends up being, they love their leader. Like, they'll get behind their leader all day long, but they will become more like the first follower than they will the leader. Wow. And so this seat that we sit in, so many of us sit in, serving someone else's vision, serving in the second chair, I guess what I wanted to start out with today, you are an underestimated form of leadership in your church and on your team. Give these guys a hand. Thank you, guys. What do these names have in common? Joseph, Esther, Daniel, think about it for a minute. They all changed the world, and none of them were in church. So, a couple years ago, uh, of course, lived in this zone for many, many years in our own church, but a couple years ago, God began to give Lindsay and I some language around this, leading second. 
This idea that most of us will spend our lives serving someone else's vision. If you think about it, most people will not spend their lives at the top of their organization. Most people will not spend their lives leading in the, in the CEO chair or the, you know, the, the, the president chair, the, the pastor chair. Most people will not spend their lives there. Most people will spend their lives leading from the middle. John Maxwell would say 99% of all leadership comes from the middle. So how many of you would agree we have to get this right yeah. in church life if we're going to build strong, healthy, life-giving churches? Leading second, though, is a spirit, not a position. That's good. To be an effective second chair leader does not mean you have to have close proximity to your pastor. So it's not determined by, by position or title. It's actually something that can live in the heart of any single person that signs up saying, I see something in my leader, and I want to see our church do all that God wants to do in and through our church. It's a, it's a posture of someone who's willing to say, I'm, I'm with you. I'm in this thing, heart and soul, with you. Leading second is a beautiful thing. Um, it, it, it's amazing. When you lead second, you get to be a part of something bigger than you. You know, when I'm home at my home church, gone most weekends, but when I'm home, I, I get to stand on a stage that I didn't build naturally or physically or spiritually. Um, I get to stand on a platform that, was, that, that someone else you know, went ahead of me and built, and yet I get to be a part of something so much bigger than me. Leading second also empowers each of us to lead from our strengths because you're part of the team. And so you get to become really good or what you do, rather than being a lone ranger that has to do everything for yourself, you get to be on a team. And being a part of a winning team is a really great feeling. So leading second is a beautiful thing, but the problem is, though, there's also tensions that come with leading second. It's a place of both leadership and followership simultaneously. Think about it. When you lead from the proverbial second chair, whatever your position happens to be, you are leading and following at the same time. And, and can I just stop there and say that our churches don't have a harvest problem. Our churches have a leadership problem, a capacity problem. We don't have a harvest problem. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. It's the laborers that are few. So you know when that, when that church plant pops up down the street, like number 900 something that's coming, that's going to pop up down the street from you? Um, let me just remind us all that is not our competition. Right. Yeah. Because our cities don't have a harvest problem. Right. Yeah. There are many, 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 many people that need to know Jesus in our cities. So our competition is not the church that looks sexy on Instagram or the church you know, that we wish we were kind of like. Like those of us, not our competition. Like we, we have other very real competition in the form of our yeah. enemy. Yeah. Right. So we don't have a harvest problem. We have a leadership problem. Right. In other words, the greatest live we will ever experience as churches as the leadership lives. Leadership capacity because our God will not give us more than we can handle. And so when you lead second, you find yourself not only having to align, you're just going to be my like target just see you know, right <laughs> and you're probably one of the only lead pastors in the room, so there you go. Um, you, when you lead second of course it requires that we align and submit and follow, but it also requires that we lead well on their behalf. So am I a leader or am I a follower? Well, the answer is both. It's a place of both authority and submission simultaneously. Am I in charge, pastor, or do I have to submit? 
Both. It's a place of both creativity and boundaries simultaneously. It's like Pastor Brandon's going to stand up and just pretty soon he's going to say, guys, Christmas is coming. And uh, let's have the best Christmas we've ever had in the history of our church. Like worship team, like blow us away. Like give us, give us the greatest Christmas services we ever have. Like, like make it amazing. And by the way, your budget's going to be like $7. <laughs> Because we have like 59 other departments to pay for. So be creative, but within context. And within boundaries. As part of the team. When we lead second, we ask ourselves, where does my responsibility begin and end? Because many times it's unclear. When we lead second, we, we find ourselves saying, you know, where does my authority to do something about this begin and end? Am I in charge or am I not in charge? Well, the answer is both. Right. You're not running the show, you're responsible for the show. Yeah. Wow. How do you balance initiating and taking charge but not overstepping your boundaries? Yeah. Yeah. Come on, anybody yeah. ever walk yeah. in yeah. yeah. tensions yeah. in the second chair? I guess part of the reason I chose to like spend my life leaning into this is that um, I don't feel called to be a pastor. I don't feel called to plan a church. I'm like the one that shows up at our conference, and every time the, the church planting altar call comes, I'm safe. I'm good. <laughs> that's, not, that's not my anointing. That's not my gift. I actually feel called to hold up the arms of someone else. But what I started realizing was that there was more people like me out there. But that there was more people like me that actually um, are called to simply lose their life in something bigger than themselves. And I think we do our churches a disservice when we say the only definition of success is having your own thing. Is that fair enough to say? (laughs) In other words, if you're called to plant a church, go do it. Because you'll be miserable if you don't. But if you're not called to plant a church, don't do it because you'll be miserable if you do. That, that for many of us, there's actually a grace on our life with a second chair. Yeah. And, and that, that, that's the very thing that God can use in you to fulfill your God-assigned purpose in life if, you, if you'll find that space with God. Yeah. Wow. It, 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 if that is the grace that's on your life. I hope you're hearing me today. Like, yeah. I, I'm kind of meddling at our nation's greatest church planting conference. <laughs> but, but I figure for everyone that does step out to plant a church, they need a whole army of people yeah. right behind yeah. us. Yeah. 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 So I'm not just me, I'm not just biding my time, I'm not just using this as a stepping stone. Yeah. I actually feel called to this. Yeah. And I'm going to fight to get it right in the second chair, even with its tensions, even with its problems. I'm going to fight because this matters as much as the name that happens to be in life. That's more yeah. Right. Yeah. Amen? Amen. Um, I think I'm also kind of an odd messenger for this topic in some ways. Uh, I'm an Enneagram 4, which means I think I'm the most brilliant of all. Uh, are you a 4? Yeah. Come on. We, we know. We, we don't have a confidence problem. We just wonder if you know how brilliant you are. <laughs> My top strengths on the strengths finder are ideation and significance. Which means I think my own ideas are the best, and I don't want to look at four different everybody. Um, on the values test, I'm a high personal freedom person. So I was an odd messenger for this. Um, I'm a DI on the disc, so I just want to take charge. 
So just giving you some context, I came about this revelation in my life the hard way. Yeah. In that um, it was something for me that got tried by fire uh, over a lot of years of being on team. But what I have found is that the greatest things God has done in my life and in now 18 years of ministry for me have been through our house and through my pastor and losing my life in something bigger yeah. than myself. Yeah. So, uh, Matthew chapter 10, I'll, I'll share this, and then I'm still on the intro. We'll get to what I actually want to talk about in a minute. Matthew chapter 10 is um, a pretty significant moment in the life of the disciples. Matthew 10 is where Jesus' uh, second chair leaders are born. Uh, Matthew 10 and 1, if you read it, it says, uh, Jesus called his disciples together and gave them authority to drive out demons and heal the sick. Okay, what does that mean? He was giving them his authority to go do ministry in his name. The reason this moment is significant is up until this point, all the disciples have done is follow Jesus. What, what, what's the call they heard on the seashore that day or at the tax collector's booth that day? They heard, follow me. And so up until this day, they have observed Jesus. They have listened to his teaching. They had ushered and picked up basketfuls of bread when he multiplied bread for thousands of people. They had served. They had been in proximity. They had been involved. But at the end of Matthew 9, we see Jesus looking out at the city, seeing the need is too great. I just referenced the verse a minute ago. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Jesus is realizing it's time to expand. It's time to grow. And so he immediately calls his disciples to him and gives them authority to go out and do ministry in his name. In other words, it's time for us to expand, so I need you to carry what's on me. I need you to go and do it in my name, with my power. In other words, can we just agree, like, ministry opportunity of a lifetime, right? right. Yeah. Like, I know we're all on Jesus' team, but this is Jesus' like actual team. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you, and then they don't know what the porch looks like, but they just got given the keys to a porch. Yeah. You know, and, and Authority to drive out demons and you know the same. And then, like a good leader, Jesus sends them through an orientation. So go here. You know the chapter. Go here. Don't go there. Do this. Don't do that. If they receive you, do this. If they don't receive you, do that. So all good. He's just he's just telling them this is how you drive this thing I just gave you. But then Jesus says something that's very interesting. He looks at them and he says, "Whoever loves their mother and father more than me is not worthy of me." Okay, that, that's new. Uh, that doesn't sound like follow me. Yeah. Uh, whoever loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He doubles down on it. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. This is the first day, as far as I can tell, this is the first day that Jesus introduces die for me thing. This is the day where follow me became die for me. And it happened on the same day he gave them authority to go do ministry in his name. It's as if Jesus is looking at his disciples and saying, I'm going to give you the ministry opportunity of a life that we're going to change the world together. It's just going to cost you everything. Are you willing to lose your life in this thing I'm giving you the opportunity to be a part of? Because if you'll surrender your life, and you'll submit to my authority and embrace my kingdom. And if you'll lose your life in this thing, your life will become more significant than you could possibly imagine. It's just going to cost you everything. But 
We live in a, in a day or a culture, we've just said so much about, you have it your way. You know, we've looked at people and said, you, you can do anything, anything you want. You know, the worst advice you can give someone, by the way, is you be you. <laughs> you do you. It's like completely not biblical. You know, like, just you do you, boo. You know, like, like that's, like, like actually, like, the, wor- the worst advice you can give somebody. Because Jesus didn't say you do you. He says, I, I want you to be like me. And I want you to lose your life in me. And I want you to surrender your life. And if you do that, I'll give you power. I'll give you authority. I'll use you like never before. It's just made you look different than you thought it would. So, sorry, I'm kind of meddling here a little bit. But I hope you see that. Incredible authority. Incredible opportunity. A group of people that literally changed the world. It just caused them to lose their life on the inside of it. Something bigger than themselves. That is what I truly believe to be the spirit of a leading second leader. It's someone who looks at their pastor and looks at the vision and this thing that they're a part of and they look at their pastor and they say, I'm willing to lose my life in this thing that's bigger than me, trusting that I'll find it on the other side. And I truly believe that's how we change the world. Amen? Amen. That's all I've got to tell you so far. Yeah. Yeah. I don't feel like they shut up the wrong app. <laughs> So the question I have for you today is this. What does the DNA look like that my pastor would kill to have on the team? What does the DNA look like that my pastor would kill to have on the team? Like, like, what does that lead? I I, want to be that leader for my pastor. I want to be the kind of leader that not only loses my life in the, the bigness of the dream and the call that's on our church and on his life, um, but hopefully, you know, more, more of me, you know, more people on our team that would want to follow me and do the same. So what does the DNA look like that my pastor would kill to have on the team? I'm going to offer you three things that I think every pastor needs in their uh, second chair leaders. I think for today, I'm going to go in reverse. So I'm going to tell you the least important first, and we're going to end on the most important. Sound good? Yeah. Okay, so I believe that every um, every effective second chair leader is developed in three very specific ways. Uh, the first is, I would say, skill or talent. Skill or talent. Remember, we're starting at the, at the least important here. It's still important, by the way. Skill and talent, in other words, if you're going to serve your pastor well, be insanely good at your job. That's great. Mm-hmm. Like, be, be really, really good at what your pastor has given you to do. If it's preaching, work on your craft, which is just going to be a fraction of our role in the second chair. Right. If it's leading meetings, be insanely good at leading meetings. Like, the kind that people actually, like, somewhat enjoy showing up to. Mm-hmm. Be, in, be insanely good at communicating with people. Be insanely good at team building. Yeah. Be insanely, if you're on the worship team, like, please be a great singer. Please. <laughs> like, like, for all our sake, you know. Like, 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 play your instrument well. Work on your craft. Yeah. Uh, great, thriving second chair leaders make a commitment to continually work on their craft. Yeah. The thing that, that they've been given to you. But I truly believe it's the least important of the three I'm going to share with you because it will only take you so far. Sometimes in church life, we're, talent, we're, we're, we're tempted to promote talented people yeah. on talent alone. I think we've all seen enough examples right now. That doesn't always go well. Yeah. And if the other two things I'm about to mention are not in play, 
we really set um, people and our teams up for failure when we promote people on talent alone. So talent is necessary to be kind of like the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. It's necessary, it's important, but it's only a start. Yeah, that's great. Uh, for what your pastor, whether they know it or not, what your pastor truly needs on the team. The second word, which I'm going to lean into for a minute, is the word capacity. High capacity. In other words, a high capacity leader that is in a place to say yes to their pastor on every occasion possible. What is capacity? Capacity is um, defined, I believe, by three questions. Capacity is notoriously difficult to define, so I'm going to try to give you some language, but what is capacity? First of all, capacity is how much can I handle? How much can I handle? Meaning for your pastor. This bottle of water is exactly 16.9 fluid ounces. This bottle of water can hold four ounces. It can hold eight. It can hold 15. It can hold 16.99999. Um, you try to put 17.5 ounces of water in this bottle and you're going to get wet. Wet, that's the best answer I've ever heard. Thank you. Church people always say overflow. And it's, it's the church people always say overflow. So thank you for saying that. No, you're going to spill. <laughs> you're going to make a mess. Um, dude, you're going to damage something. If you try to put too much, you know, and, and this container can't handle it. And in ministry, the reason this is so important is when we hit capacity, and when we spill, and when we make a mess, we hurt people. Yeah. This is when you, if I'm at capacity, I'm at margin, I'm stressed, and I tell someone I'll get back to you, and I don't get back to you. Like, we've all had these moments, by the way. This is, the, the, the issue is not necessarily, you know, if you hit capacity, it's just what you do when you do it. But this, this, is, when, this is when people's um, experience on the team is damaged, because we're just, we're just at capacity, we can't handle more. Um, when I want to say yes for my pastor, I just, I just physically can't. I have no more in the tank right now. Uh, capacity is also measured by how fast can you run? How fast can you run? I would make a bold statement about capacity and say it's not the pace that's the problem. It's just our training that's the problem. What do we do? Twice a year at our churches, we do 21 days of prayer. Fasting and believe God for more. More people, more salvations, you know, more services. What do we do, right? We do this like a couple times a year. We believe God for more. Here's the problem with more. You have to run faster. Right. The, the load is heavier. Yeah. The, the, the pace, all of a sudden, meetings take up multiple nights of the week. Yeah. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden, perceived family time is, is you know, shrinking. And, and if we're not careful, if we don't also grow our capacity to handle more, we can end up resenting the very thing we prayed for. Yeah. Because it's not the pace that's the problem. I, I just like to think in my mind, there's someone out there running at a fast pace, handling it well. So, if, if they're doing it, handling it well, I need to model my life and take on some new behaviors and grow my capacity. Because it's not the pace that's the problem, it's just my training, it's just my capacity, it's, my, it's, it's, my, it's me that's the problem. 
And then the third thing that's defining your capacity is how healthy can I stay? Why do I run? Yeah, I think we've heard some great messages on this today. That um, it doesn't do us or anybody any good if we run fast, but we get injured along the way. You know, when we overrun our training, yeah. uh, we can hurt ourselves, we can hurt others, we can get tired, <clears throat> and ultimately end up out of the race. And I just want to see my heart for each and every one of you in your context, your role, your seat on the bus, and your team, and your city. My heart for you is that in 20, 30, 40 years, that you're running strong and healthy and fast for the kingdom of God. That's good. Yeah. You know, and that, that in the process of losing your life and someone else's vision, you've seen God so severely bless you. And you've, you've, seen, you've seen God do something really significant in you, even as you lose your life, that you would find your life when you lose it. That would be my prayer for each and every one of you. But it takes some really intentional effort to grow our capacity. I think I'm, I'm offering this thought to you today, I guess, that the DNA of a leader that any pastor would kill to have on the team would be someone who's committed to constantly growing their capacity. Yeah. Yeah. Constantly getting in the leadership gym. Constantly getting down. And so, here's the problem. We'll move on to the last topic here. The problem is capacity doesn't grow overnight. There's no um, miracle growth for your leadership. And I mean, if, if you know anybody could, it's like you know, it's like um, you don't get abs overnight in the gym, right? I mean, you don't lose 30 pounds overnight. That, that doesn't happen. Um, and so, the challenge is, let's say in six months or 12 months, there's a request coming that you don't even, even know about yet. Yeah. That your pastor's going to need something of you in that time or at some point in the future. And my question for you is, are you doing something now to prepare yourself to handle right. more and more comes? Because you can't get there and just instantly figure out and develop your capacity. It actually starts now. You have to almost forecast where y'all want to be yeah. here. Where do you need to be in two years? What, what is the, the season of our church and of our life demanding of me right now? Because I've got to get me ready today to handle what my pastor's going to either toss my way or hand my way tomorrow. So just continually growing our capacity. And then the third aspect, the third, I think, DNA element of an uncommon second chair leader, this is absolutely the the leader that every pastor would kill to have, and the most important, is I would say alignment. Yes. Alignment. This is the leader, the second chair leader, that looks at their pastor and says, go, do all that's in your heart, I am with you. Yes. This is Jonathan Zomberger, right? Yeah. Do all that's in your heart, I am with you. Yeah. Heart and soul. Aligned in spirit, aligned in language, aligned in heart. Yeah. Aligned in purpose. Alignment is the most powerful force in any organization. It's the ability to walk in a church, never meet the pastor, and yet have exactly the experience the pastor would want you to have in church on a Sunday morning because the culture is so aligned. It doesn't matter if you meet the person at the top or the person 22 rounds down. You, you, it's as if you still met the pastor because there's such severe culture alignment yeah, yeah, yeah. in the organization. This is where the air is clean on teams. Yeah. This is unity. This, this is when we're all on the same page. Uh, kind of the same direction, fighting the same battles. 
I, I guess I'd like to say it a different way. Misalignment is bad for tires, it's bad for spines, and it's bad for churches. Yeah. I mean, think about the analogy. Anyone ever drove a vehicle that's out of alignment? Yeah. You ever done it? I, I rented a car one time when we were pulling out of the car rental thing, and like to go straight, the wheel had to be like about this, right? <laughs> like something's wrong. Um, when a vehicle is out of alignment, the the most basic function of an automobile, what what accelerating and going straight, is is that about as basic as it gets? The most basic function of an automobile um, is tiring. Yeah. You can't even do, do, do the simple things because you're constantly having to work on alignments. Uh, the, the driver gets tired faster. The vehicle breaks down faster. It costs you more money in the long term. Gaps and repairs and all because something was just operating counter to its design, out of its design. Misalignment's bad for your spine. When your spine's out of alignment, health can't flow in your body. If chronic pain, what, any leaders popping up in your mind right now? Uh, you know that, that's like the person sitting across the room, you don't see or any kind of thing. Uh, you know, you, every statement I just made is true about your team if you're experiencing misalignment. The basic functions are near impossible to get done without advice. The, the driver's tired. The car breaks down. Health can't flow. Constant pain, chronic pain, all because of lack of alignment. <laughs> I'd say one more thing about alignment really fast. I'm just talking, like, this is like two hours of notes and just like 30 minutes. I'm sorry. This is like a fire hydrant coming at you today. Um, I would say this, and this is something you can maybe take home and unpack with your pastor a little bit. I would say slight misalignment is worse than no alignment at all. Slight misalignment is worse than no alignment at all. And here's why I would say that. Let's say that alignment looks like this. Let's say alignment looks like all of us headed in this direction, you know, the same direction together, same culture, same vision, like we're all headed this way. Let's say total misalignment, just someone who's not with us, which is what we would think would be the worst, right? Total misalignment looks like someone coming in and they're faced this way. Yep. You know, they're, they're not with us. They don't like how we sing. They don't like how we lead. They don't like the name of the church. They don't like the location. They don't like the attire. Like, like, like whatever. Yeah. If someone comes in, yeah. the, the, that person, while they might make a splash for a second, yeah. that person's not staying around. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no matter what happens, that person's exit will be quick. Yeah. Um, they might make a scene, whatever, but in the, in the scheme of church life, um, that person's going away quicker. There's something far more dangerous that happens on our teams. That's called slight misalignment. That is a culture where everyone's headed this direction, um, same culture, same vision, same purpose, and you have someone come in that's kind of right about like this. Like the, the, they, they appear to be headed in the same direction, but there's like a few things off. The reason that person is so dangerous is because their misalignment only comes out later once they're in places of influence, yeah. leadership, um, authority, and now they hurt people. There's collateral damage to that person because their misalignment was not dealt with quickly enough. 
I'm talking out of pain a little bit because I actually experienced this with an intern of mine years ago. It was a kid that had grown up in youth ministry with us, fatherless kid. Um, I mean, great kid. Our youth ministry served his brains out. Faithful. Um, I mean, so much so he went away to some sort of a seminary type school. A little bit different flow than, than our church and all that, but... At the end, he came back and said, hey, I have some credits to, I need, you know, internship credits I need to get to finish, to graduate, can I officially intern with you? And I said, sure, great. And he was amazing. He was awesome. He was, he was with us all the time. Uh, he, he, he worked his butt off. He was even there, like, the day our daughter was born in the hospital. Like, 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 not like in the room. Not <laughs> so he was there, like present, all in. Every once in a while we would have these like theological conversations. I just thought they were banter. I just thought they were like, we're just kind of like having an exercise here, you know, of like why I'm not Calvinist or something, you know? Um, and, and, anyways, I'll be the obvious track. <laughs> started a small group. I thought, awesome. He's just doing what we do. You know, small group. And, and, and the small group, boom. So you have like 30-something young adults, staff kids. Keep all these see where this is going, right? Um, in his small group. And um, several months later, we get a call one day that we have a max, mass exodus of young adults in our church. And all these like staff kids, key volunteer kids, they're all leaving the church. And so, of course, I'm sent to figure out why. Come to find out the, the theme of his small group, the topic of his small group was why our church wasn't preaching the true gospel and sending people to hell. So that was like what they met about weekly for, for so, so you have this exodus going on. And um, unfortunately, I had the horrible task. Now, I did my diligence. I, I, I tried to work the situation anywhere we could, but I had to make the very unfortunate phone call one day of calling a fatherless kid and telling him he was no longer welcome at our church. I had to disconnect from him in every sphere of my life. Uh, today he is not serving God. And today he's totally out of church and he took a bunch of people with him. Today, there's a bunch of those young adults that are still screwed up in their thinking, still screwed up in their thinking toward church, not in the house of God today. Wow. Like, like not, not even at a different church. We're talking not in church at all. Wow. And that was the fruit of his life. And um, while my pastor was with me, while he was gracious toward me in that situation, um, I realized a very powerful lesson that day that slight miscellaneous is powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's good. Which means uh, in church, like we're gonna have to deal with misalignment quickly in ourselves yeah. yeah. and yeah. in others. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yep. And I say ourselves in there as well because I know there have been times I've probably not been in alignment. No. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, times where I thought we should do A and we did B. No. You know, times where I thought something else would be easier or more effective. Times where I thought, um, 
you know, it, it should look different than this. Times where I thought I should be given a different opportunity. Times where I thought I should be given, you know, the moment to be something that someone else got. I mean, take pick your poison, right? Yeah. Yeah. But the thing that's caused me to go the distance with my church has been a um, a really short record of wrongs in that area. That's great. And just realizing that God has called me here. Psalm 92, 13 is true over my life. I planted in the house of the Lord. I will flourish in the place of our God. And that, that I, can, I can hold God to his character on that. And I can trust that until he moves me, uh, sovereignly by his hand, not my bad attitude, but by his hand, like until he moves me, I'm here. And I'm planted. And there's no room for, for, for um, daylight between me and my pastor. And I can't tell you guys the blessing of God I feel like I've seen in my life yeah. as a result of a continual commitment toward alignment with my pastor. So I offer you those thoughts today. Alignment, high capacity, and insanely developed skills and talents. Now, by the way, flip those around for a minute. Think about the person who's really talented and not aligned. Mm-hmm. Can we disagree that those three things don't work the opposite direction? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Think about the person who's really talented Really aligned but no capacity. That's yeah. the person that declines all the time on planning Church's success. I will die to self daily to see my church move forward. 
I stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before me and surrendered their lives. I will do the same. I will give every ounce of my life to this work with no regard for credit, positions, or titles. I will leverage all of my influence for the cause of Christ to see his kingdom come, and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I am an uncommon church builder. I am leading second. So Father, I thank you today for every, every leader in this room right now. Um, I just believe with every fiber of my being that for someone, this was the moment that was served on their calendar for this week. That maybe there would be a shift that would happen in our hearts, that you would break our hearts for our pastors and their vision, and for your kingdom, and for what you've called us to do. And Jesus, you're more faithful than we've ever realized. You see every moment of selflessness. You see every moment of sacrifice. You see every moment where we lose our life anything that's bigger than us, but I thank you that the gospel is not a grave, it's simply a garden. Mm -hmm. That when we lose our life, we don't die, we just spring forth a new life. Yeah. And I pray that would be true over our lives today, God. That as we lose our life and the, the vision that you've given our pastors, that we would find our life. And that life and more life would be our story. And that you would use every person in this room wildly for your kingdom. That they would be more effective than they ever dreamed they could be, Father, even while championing someone else. That they would be more used to God than they, than they could dream. And, and that you, they'd see everything that's in them come out in some form. Everything you've placed in their Father, that they would have expression for that even while losing their life in someone else's vision. I pray that would be our story, God. That we would be uncommon, that we would build uncommon churches that would truly change cities for the glory of the kingdom of God. So, we love you. And we thank you that it is the honor of a lifetime to be in ministry and serve you like we get to serve you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this session from the Art Conference. Our heart is that you are more encouraged and excited about your calling than ever before. For dates and locations and to register for an upcoming Art Conference, visit artconference.com.